I want to talk to you today about the breath of heaven. I want to talk to you today about Jesus who came because we needed it. We needed it. Every single one of us need Jesus in our lives. Now, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us. We thank you for the joy of children being dedicated, the joy of children ministering, the joy of being together as one. And Holy Spirit, we invite your presence to give us ears to hear and eyes to see what your spirit has to say to us today through your word. And as we fellowship afterwards, we look forward to a wonderful time together, enjoying tamales and so forth. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, a couple of nights ago in a local TV station in Springfield, Missouri, they ran a story about an amazing gift that was given um, from a local church to another church a few weeks ago. The church was called Freedom City Church. They reached out to poor. They reached out to the poor and downtrodden in the valley of uh, their, uh, the vicinity of their building near downtown Springfield, Missouri. In fact, the church sign says this. How would you like to have this in front of your church sign? It says, "Welcome felons, junkies, and saints." Welcome felons, junkies, and saints. That's the kind of church this was, and they were reaching these kind of people in the inner city of Springfield. Well, a balloon payment on their mortgage was coming due, and it looked very dire for a church to make their payment. Other churches have helped them along the way throughout the year because of the significance of their loan and so forth. In fact, Central Assembly of God in Springfield, Missouri, contributed over $100,000 to help them with a new roof and with the air conditioner and heating units that they needed. Well, apparently, Pastor John Allered from Freedom City Church reached out to other pastors, one of whom was John Lindell, who my wife and I had an opportunity to have uh, dinner with him and some other people when we had a, a thing with George Wood and so forth at the Richard Nixon Library. And I'll never forget uh, meeting John and his wife and so forth. Well, as the pastor of James River Church, I'm told that John and his team had planned to already give a sizable contribution to this church in their need. They're a very large church. But then Pastor John felt a nudge to let James River, the church, know about the, the, the need of this balloon payment and so forth. And let me tell you something, church. They responded, and they responded big time. A few Sundays ago, Pastor John Lindell brought Pastor John Allen and his wife to the platform at James River Church, and they gave this pastor and his wife a check for their church for $643,000. And that paid off the mortgage completely on that church. Isn't that awesome? That's amazing. What an incredible display of the body of Christ truly supporting each other and loving one another. And, and when Pastor Brett, Jim Bradford told the, his congregation at Central Assembly what James River had done, they, they shouted and excited even more. And it was just an incredible display of what happens when there's unity in the body of Christ, when there's love in the church towards one another. And may that kind of spirit be re replicated around the world in our churches today. But one of the greatest lessons of Christmas in life is the gift of love. That church gave a gift of love. They gave sacrificially and generously to help another church who was about to lose their building pay it off completely. That's unbelievable if you think about it. Jesus lived a sinful, sinless life, but he died a sacrificial death. Did you hear what I said? He lived a sinless life, but he died a sacrificial death. Jesus' death on the cross showed a deep love for us. And, and, and the message inscribed on the cross is three simple words. Three simple words are inscribed on the cross. It's I love you. I love you. And I thank the Lord for that, that he deeply loves us. And when Jesus was born and he came, he came at a time when it was uncomfortable. He came at a time when it was an unlikely setting. And if you're taking notes this morning, the breath of heaven, Jesus came not because he needs us, but because we desperately need him. We desperately need him. 
God knew we needed Christmas because he knew we needed a Savior in his son, Jesus Christ. God knew we needed the message of Christmas because all sinners are in need of God's mercy. I love what the Bible says in Luke 2, 7, but it's also one of the saddest statements that we read about. It says in Luke 2, 7, and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. I think that has to be one of the saddest, the, 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 the bottom portion of that scripture, that there was no room for them. There was no room for them. There was no room for baby Jesus, but our culture hasn't changed from those days. Have you noticed? Have you noticed most of the time people don't make room for the son of God? When our schedules are busy, and they are busy during this time of the year, we don't make room for the Prince of Peace when we're filled with anxiety and we're filled with stress. When we try to control the narrative, we don't make room for the Savior of the world to have his way in our circumstance, but rather we try to have our way and want it done the way we want it to be done. But despite us or our culture not making room for him, he made room for us. He made room for us. By, by loving the world, by creating you, by giving you your family, by giving you a job, by giving you a roof over your head, by giving you his Holy Spirit to comfort you and to challenge you and to convict you and to assist us in this journey of life and faith in his son, Jesus Christ. Here's the thing I want you to understand, friends. Even when people don't make room for God, Jesus still came searching for us. Jesus came searching for us. God thought of us long before we even thought of ourselves. But here's one thing that prevents us from sharing in his love fully um, with us. And that one thing is called sin. We've all been tested positive for sin. And because it is our sin that separates us from the holy presence of an almighty God. And, and, and Jesus came searching for us to redeem us, to restore us, to revive us, to give us purpose, to give us meaning. But God chose to chase us down even when we didn't want to chase after him. You know, I haven't been a Christian all my life. I didn't give my life to Jesus Christ until I was seven years old. I wasn't chasing Jesus as soon as I came out of the womb of my mom and said, I want Jesus. No, I wanted something else. I wanted food. I wanted, I wanted what I wanted, what I needed in my life. And God doesn't abandon us because his love is absent. I want you to understand this morning. God doesn't abandon us because his love is absent, but rather because our sin is present. Sin is what separates us from having that relationship with the living God. And, and now and imperfect people, and, but God, God's love is bigger than all of our sins combined. Think about that. Every single person in this room, if we were to put all of our sins together in one big giant bag, they don't even compare to God's love. And I'm so thankful for that. And now as imperfect people, we can have a relationship with a perfect God. We're imperfect people, but we can have a relationship with a perfect God because of his son, Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Romans 5, 12, therefore, just as though one man's sin entered into the world, and we all know who that one man is, it's Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all mankind because all sinned. We've all sinned. Have you ever noticed that our human nature always wants to do one thing that is off limits? Think about it. When you were a kid and your mom said, don't touch the cookie jar, what did you want to do? You wanted to touch the cookie jar. When your mom said no dessert before dinner, what did you want to do? You wanted to have dessert before dinner. We are all made and wired like that. From the time of Adam and Eve today, everyone is a sinner except for Jesus who came and lived on this earth in, in our lifetime. And the bottom line is all of us have a sinful nature. All of us, we might act like Dr. Jekyll looking all good on the outside, but really if you think about it, friends, all of us are like Mr. Hyde on the inside. We're filled with sinful nature, bad attitudes, anger, rage, evil thoughts, all sorts of th stuff. But not only were we sinners by nature, 
which most people are in our culture. But here's another thing. Not only are we sinful, but we don't reverence God on our own. We don't, we don't show reverence to God on our own. The Bible says in Romans 3.18, there is no fear of God in their eyes. There is no fear of God in their eyes. And when it comes to all the things that we do that are contrary to the nature of God, here is one thing we should experience. You know what that one thing is? All of us should experience judgment. All of us should experience judgment because of our sinful nature and because of our lack of reverence to God and who he is. And when you think about it, friends, sin carries a high price tag. Sin carries a high price tag in our present life and especially in our afterlife if we don't know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. I heard, I heard someone say this, and I quote, they said, sin will take you further than you want to go. How many can relate to that? Sin took you further than you wanted to go. I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to say that. I, want to, I didn't want to allow myself to get involved in that sinful habit. Sin will, call, will take you further than you want to go. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay. Oh, it's just one time. Oh, it's just this moment. Sin will keep you longer than you want to stay, and it'll cost you more than you're willing to pay. It'll cost you more than you're willing to pay. Look at what God's judgment brought to Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, 16 through 19. You can turn there in your Bible or just listen to this. But we're talking about judgment. Genesis 3, 16 and 19 says this, after Adam and Eve had taken of the apple and so forth, there was judgment. Then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy. Oh, how many of you love that scripture, ladies? And in pain you will give birth, and you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. Verse 17, and to the man he said, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. If you hate thorns and you hate weeds, you can just blame, blame the guys, <laughs> you know. It goes on and says this, and your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. By the sweat of your brow will you have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. For you were made from dust, and to dust you will return. That's judgment. But if you read verse 21, it says in Genesis 3:21, And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. You see, they were both naked and they were both ashamed. So that leads me to this point, friends. And as we look at the life of Adam and Eve and, and our sinful lifestyle, yes, there's judgment for our sins, but there is also forgiveness too. Because the same God that gave judgment to Adam and Eve also clothed them. Because they were embarrassed. They were ashamed. And he got some animal skins and gave them something. You see, I want you to understand this morning. There is judgment for our sins, but there is always room for forgiveness. Aren't you thankful for that, friends? What I love about the birth of our Lord and Savior, our King and our Messiah, is that it was the ultimate display of a second chance. I don't know about you this morning, but I love it when I get a do-over. How many of you have ever failed a test and your teacher said, I'm going to give you a second chance. I'm going to give you another chance to study and to, to take it over. I mean, I love that as a kid. I love growing up knowing that I could get a do-over from my mistakes or whatever it may be, or maybe a second chance. Or How many of you in this room play golf? Raise your hands. If you've ever played golf before, there's certain tournaments that you can go to that you can buy a mulligan, or there's times when you're playing with your friends that they'll give you a mulligan. And some of you may not know what a mulligan is, but basically what a mulligan is, is it's if you hit your ball into the water, into the deep brush or the bush or the forest, which I do all the time, or hit someone's house or whatever it may be, your, your partners will look at you and, and they'll say, I'll give you a mulligan, which is I'll give you a do-over. I'll give you a second chance free of charge. And almost every verse in judgment that you read about in the Bible, there is also connected to a spiritual mulligan. 
There's a second chance. There's a do-over. There's, 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 there's those opportunities. Think about Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death. That's judgment. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. There's the forgiveness. There's the mulligan. There's the do-over. There's the second chance. And the most powerful words besides I love you that are inscribed on the cross is when someone will, will say to you or to me, will you forgive me? I know I've had to say those words a lot of times. Will you forgive me? Maybe there's times you've said that word to someone. Will you forgive me? And the person hearing those words says to the person that said, will you forgive me? The other words that someone loves to hear as a recipient of that, and that is I I forgive you. Those are powerful words. Now, how many of you ever heard the song or sang the, the amazing hymn called Amazing Grace? Whether it's in English, Spanish, American Samoan, or whatever, maybe Otomo, Amatic, or whatever, we've all heard of that. Now, what a lot of us may not know is John Newton was the writer of that song. Let me tell you about John Newton. He was a former slave ship master. The guy that wrote that song, Amazing Grace, was a slave owner. He was a slave master for several years. He would bring slaves from Africa to England and sometimes treated them horribly while they were on the ship. But one point while he was on the ship coming from Africa to, e to England, he became very ill. He became very sick in his body, and he almost died. But he came to his senses, just like the prodigal son, and he chose to abandon his life as a slave trader, and he wholeheartedly devoted his life to God, and he asked the Lord to forgive him of his sins, and he accepted God's love for his life. Twenty years later, an, an Anglican preacher John Newton wrote over 208 hymns, but the greatest of them was Amazing Grace. A slave trader wrote these songs, wrote these words, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I was once lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fear relieved. How precious did the grace appear, the hour I first believe. My chains are gone. I have been set free. My God, my Savior, has ransomed me, and like a flood, his mercy reigns. Unending love, amazing grace. He went from a slave owner to being in the arms of the Savior. Amen. That's the kind of God we serve. John Newton committed terrible sins against human beings, and he knew his sinful lifestyle deserved judgment. It deserved death. But instead of God meeting John with, with punishment, God pursued John with the gift of grace. The gift of grace. It was at Christ's expense as he died on the cross that John experienced the undeserved freedom of forgiveness. And the message of Christmas comes with peace. The message of Christmas today comes with, with grace and hope. And John 3.17 says, God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. I'm so thankful for that. The most important gift that you are going to receive is not under the Christmas tree this year, friend. The greatest gift that you're going to receive is the important gift of all is an old, wooden, rugged, blood-stained cross where Jesus died for all humanity. That's the ultimate tree right there, amen? The breath of heaven reminds us that the first Christmas was not met with overwhelming acceptance and approval. When Jesus was born, there was no ticker tape fan parade. There was, like, if, if your team won a, a Super Bowl or an NBA championship or the World Series or the MLS Cup or whatever it may be, the World Cup, I mean, there's a parade in that city. There's, there's, they're, in, they're in buses and all sorts of stuff. Well, when Jesus was born, there was not a ticker tape parade. There was no huge fanfare surrounding the long-awaited arrival of Jesus for over 400 years. There was silence. 
Think about it, friends. The only people that were there, you saw in these precious little children, there was Mary and Joseph there. There were some shepherds. There was a bunch of animals. And then a couple of years later, some wise men showed up with gifts. I, I thought to myself, well, if they were really wise, why did it take them two years? It's probably because they didn't listen to their wife. I don't know. Um, but the bottom line is this. And today it's the same. It's the same in our culture. We want to take Christ out of Christmas. Our culture wants to take Christ out of Christmas. Large corporations are calling it the, the holiday season instead of Merry Christmas. Or, or some are saying holidays instead of they don't want to say the word even holly or holy, holly, holiday season. The secularization of Christmas is now telling employees at the stores and the malls or the grocery stores or the restaurants to say happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas because they don't want to offend anyone. They don't want to offend anyone. Look at the kind of reception Jesus got when he came to this earth. Remember, it wasn't a ticker tape parade. It wasn't a, a, a huge uh, welcome and so forth. The Bible says in John 1, 1 through 13, or 11 through 13, it says, He came to his own. He came to his own. And his own people did not accept him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of a man, but of God. Think about that. God's very own people, the Jewish people, did not receive him. Have you ever been rejected? Have you ever felt like you're not a part of the crowd at, at your office or where you work or you kind of feel like you're like the, the square peg in a round hole? I think Jesus can relate to what you're going through or where you've been in your life. Even though the birth of Jesus came with force, it came with strength, it came with passion, it came with purpose, it came with precision, it came with power, it came with grace some 2,000 years ago, most of the Jewish people rejected him. They didn't want anything to do with him. And today people reject, people reject Jesus for a variety of reasons. I've heard people say, well, I don't believe the Jesus who's, who the Bible says he is. I don't believe that. I, I, so I don't want to become a Christian. Or I've heard people say they think they have enough time to do whatever they want. And then later on in life, they'll give their life to God. And that's why they reject him in that moment of their life. Or I've heard some people say they're not good enough to, to allow Jesus into their life. There's too much sin. There's too much heartache. There's too much pain. And, and Jesus won't, won't accept them in that moment. But church, I want you to understand, Christmas is more than Christmas carols. It's more than decking the halls. It's more than parties and hosting them or going to them. It's more than buying presents for one another. Jesus came to bring us meaning. And Jesus came to bring us purpose. And Jesus came to heal us of our pain and the things in our lives that we've done that are contrary to the word of God. I remember when I was a junior in high school, I was a follower of Jesus, but I wasn't living for him. I, I was really more of a fan of Jesus than a follower, to be honest. And it was my junior year going to a youth camp that I realized he died for me. I want to live for him. And I realized from that point on, I had been playing games at the foot of the cross. I realized I was using God like a 7-Eleven. When, when I needed him, I'd go in as a convenience store. When I didn't, I would just be far away from God. But my junior year in high school, I decided I want to go all in. I want to go all in for this. And the reason I didn't want to go all in for God before that is because I thought, oh, well, then I'm not going to be able to do this. I can't do that because the Bible says this. And then I was using all these legal terms and rules. And I just was like, I don't want to do this because Jesus will take away my fun. But Jesus didn't come to take away your fun. He came to take away your pain. We all have pain. We all deal with pain in our hearts and our lives. And Jesus did that. You see, friends, I want you to understand your life doesn't end when you follow Jesus. It begins when you choose to follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior. When I went into my junior year or my senior year after coming back from that summer camp my junior year, not only did I want to live for him because he died for me, but I decided the, the cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back. And I've been following Jesus ever since that day, and it's been the greatest decision in my life. Yes, there's heartache, there's trials, there's tribulations, there's pains, there's thorns on roses, 
But you know what? I have someone in my life that I can lean on. I don't have to lean on my own understandings, but in all my ways, I can acknowledge him, and he'll direct my path. He'll direct my path. And that's what I love about the Holy Spirit and and who God is. Ephesians 2, 1 through 2 says this. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. And that's really what it comes down to. We, we choose to be disobedient to God, and that's what happens in our lifestyle. But I remember when I was a little kid, there was a certain gift I wanted for my birthday. And I don't know if you've ever heard of this guy, but how many of you have ever heard of Evil Knievel? How many of you have ever heard of Evil Knievel? Some of you younger kids are like, what the heck? That sounds demonic. Um, you know? but, but the bottom line is Evil Knievel was a daredevil, and he used to you know, take rockets over the Grand Canyon. He would ride this motorcycle over like 15 buses or 20 buses. Well, there was this little toy that was, black, that was red, and you would connect the Evil Knievel on a motorcycle with the figurine of him, and you would crank that puppy up. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Can I get a witness this morning? Somebody's having church, so you're like, uh-huh, I want one of those. And it's like, and it, you know, you're cranking it, and then poof, it'd pop off, and you would make up these pretend ramps, and he would jump over things, and I would get my stuffed animals out and pretend that he was, like, going to go into the lion's den or something like that, and he would jump over. It was the coolest gift. That's, that's what I wanted. That was what I was envisioning. And when I, when I was six years old for my birthday, it was the last gift that I opened up. My dad said, this is for me and your mom. And I opened it up, and wouldn't you believe, wouldn't you know, it was evil Knievel, the red box that you put the motorcycle and the the little figurine on, and you crank it up. And the dreams of all that I had, I I was so excited. I wanted to leave the party. I wanted to leave Shakey's Pizza, and I wanted to go home, and I wanted to do all the stuff that I had dreamed about doing. If you think about it, friends, when someone gives you a gift, the best thing you can do is you receive it, you open it, and you use it. And I want you to understand the greatest form of appreciation that, that, to Jesus for the gift of salvation is to receive it right away and to embrace it and to use it without delay. But while some reject God, many chose to accept him. They chose to accept him. I said that when I read John 1 through, uh, 11 through 13 and so forth. Don't make excuses when it comes to Jesus. I want to encourage all of you this time of the year, but choose to make room for him more than ever before. And when you go through a storm in your life, His love will sustain you. His peace will sustain you. His peace will uphold you. Your faith in him will guide you when it's all said and done because of that wonderful name, Jesus. Recently, we've all heard about what happened during those devastating storms and tornadoes in Kentucky and in Arkansas and in Illinois and in Tennessee. And if the worship team could come up, that'd be great. On December the 10th. And we continue to pray and give towards those efforts. As a matter of fact, if some of you would like to give through the church, um, we, want, we always support Convoy of Hope. And if you want to write a check out to City View Church, just put on the memo, Convoy of Hope, or you can give online. Just look for the link to Convoy of Hope, and we'll make sure to get those things. But how many of you have heard about what took place in Kentucky and Illinois and Arkansas and, and Tennessee? And it was just devastating. Of course, Kentucky got the, the most hit. And, and recently I saw on Facebook, and maybe you've seen it too. I, as a matter of fact, I even posted it because it was so powerful when I saw it on Facebook. It was a video about a man in Kentucky. He lost his house in the tornado. And of course, his sister heard something from her brother's house, and she filmed him sitting alone on a waterlogged piano. Matter of fact, their roof was completely, his roof was completely gone. 
And as he was on that waterlogged piano, it was missing keys. As it was, as, as, as that piano, he was there on that piano in that decimated living room. And he started secretly playing a hymn. And the hymn was something about that name. And that video was a picture of the Christian life right there. I want you to understand, friends, that during your storm, you can still worship the Lord. Whatever your storm is that you're going through, whether it's financial, emotional, relational, spiritual, physical, whatever it may be, you can still worship the Lord because there is something about that name. I want you to understand why, why is it that we're able to, 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 to worship the Lord in the middle of a storm, no matter what it may be, no matter how big or how small it may be, because our hope is built on nothing less than the blood of Jesus Christ and his righteousness. Amen. And if God is for you, who can come against you? Not even nature in all its fury can separate us from the love of God. So whatever you're dealing with today, whatever you're going through, I want to encourage you to let this song ring in your spirit. Let this song remind you of why the breath of heaven came because we desperately needed to be saved. So if you're able to this morning, would you stand with me? Maybe you know this song. Maybe you haven't sung it in a long time. or Maybe you've never heard this song in your life. I want you to listen to the words. If you know this song, I want you to sing it in your spirit. And then I want to pray for you. But whatever it is that you're going through, whatever it is that you're dealing with, God is with us. And there is something about that name. He's given you the gift. I don't know, maybe it's the gift of salvation. Maybe it's the gift of peace he wants to give you. Maybe it's the gift of forgiveness. Maybe it's the gift of getting rid of that attitude. I don't know what it is, but just like I wanted that evil Knievel, and my father gave me what I wanted, this morning God wants to give you what you need, and only you know what you need. So as you sing this song, make this your prayer, and allow the Spirit of God to minister to us, and then I'll close in prayer, and then we'll... We'll do another song and then uh, we'll be closed out in that moment in just a moment after that father in the name of jesus as we worship you right now whatever surrounds us whatever we're dealing with we lay it at your feet we don't make excuses some of you might be saying well i don't want to sing this song or raise my hand because then i'm going to look like a hypocrite because of what happened two hours ago friends in god's eyes he forgives you and this morning we just need to worship him and let those chains fall just like they fell in John Newton's life when he gave his life to Jesus Christ because of his amazing grace.